listening to Closer Look. Every year, more than 600,000 of the same people are released from prison, but two-thirds are rearrested within three years. We lost PJ, we lost C-Dub, and lost Lil' J to these streets, bruh. Got family members on lockdown, I still pray to God to release them. Put my hope in the Father, all these problems just pushing me harder. When I feel like I'm ready to fall out, hit my knees and start crying my heart out. I'm Monica Kelly with Closer Look, and my first guest today is hip-hop artist, actor, entrepreneur, father, justice warrior, and Jesus follower, Lecrae. It's good to have you, Lecrae. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Tell us a little bit about your redemption story. Oh, man. Um, You know, I definitely, um, you know, didn't grow up in a a, a Christian environment. I had a wonderful grandmother but uh, who loved the Lord, but um, didn't grow up in that type of environment, and just really kind of followed my own path, uh, which led to a lot of destructive behavior. By the grace of God, I was introduced to some incredible individuals uh, around uh, 19 years old who, you know, brought me to a conference where I heard the gospel and uh, my life was transformed. And since then, I've been trying to uh, live out that truth and that transformation every day of my life. I love what Prison Fellowship founder Chuck Colson said. He said that Christians are to be salt and light in the world. And you have a partnership right now with Prison Fellowship. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, I'm, um, you know, I've always been a big fan of the work of Chuck Colson um, and just seeing uh, how, you know, he, his own personal experience was helpful in making prison safer, more rehabilitative, uh, you know, focusing on reform. And so those are things that are near and dear to my heart is I have family members. You know, my own father was incarcerated. When you were a kid and your dad was in prison, what was that like for you? Um, obviously, it's tough uh, not knowing, um, you know, about your father, not having a, 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 a great relationship with him. And, you know, some of my um, closest uncles as well, just, you know, making those trips to visit them um, and, and it becoming kind of normal to walk that yellow line as a little kid um, and, and seeing those those gates close behind you. Those things, um, you know, kind of traumatize you as a kid because it seems scary to you. And then you have to imagine that the people you love are behind those walls and how are they being treated and do they have an opportunity to um, be as dynamic and wonderful as you may know them to be, you know, your heart breaks, you know, especially for those who, you know, didn't get a fair shake uh, for whatever reason. And, um, and they, and they're sitting there, they, they're still humans beings with dignity um, who've made mistakes and uh, need an opportunity to find redemption on some of the greatest leaders in the world, including apostle Paul sat behind a prison prison wall. So, um, you know, I just want to make sure that I can serve with them. And they gave me an opportunity to come alongside and serve. And it's been a wonderful relationship. I'm really honored to uh, be focusing on a, a few particular prisons, one in particular, where we'll go and, um, you know, do a concert. There'll be some outreach and some connecting with the, the incarcerated individuals. And of course, you have uh, the Fellowship Academy that takes them through a year long life transformation program. Um, and so that's that's beautiful for me because, you know, it's. It's just something that you just want, don't want to do your your performance and then leave. You want to make sure that there's um, a follow-up touch point. And Prison Fellowship does a great job of doing that. I'm sure you've had opportunity to meet some of the men and women behind bars. What has inspired you the most? Do you have a story that really jumped out at you? I do. A new friend of mine named Rasan, um, I, I met him in uh, San Quentin. And when I talked to him, you know, he's an incredible guy. And he told me he spent the first couple of years frustrated and depressed and sad that he was now incarcerated, you know, for the next 15 years of his life. 
Um, but then he realized that he couldn't change the situation, but he could be changed in the midst of the situation. And, you know, God just began to change, you know, his, his life in that process. He took financial literacy classes, he took writing classes, and now he's written articles that have gone all the way to GQ and, um, and, and, and Vice magazine. And he's also hosting, uh, one of the only podcasts that's uh, broadcasted from a, a prison. And so, uh, just an incredible individual who it, it makes makes it clear that you're not um, what you've done, and that there's always a chance for restoration and 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 a restoration and hope for anybody. I love what you said that he couldn't change his situation, but he could allow himself to be changed in it. Yes. How do you think that Jesus sees? men and women who are incarcerated? Oh, he absolutely sees them as image bearers, people made in the image of God. Um, you know, we can go down the list of so many individuals who um, have committed, you know, heinous crimes. I mean, Moses was a murderer. Uh, David was a murderer and an adulterer. The sons of, of Jacob who committed so many heinous crimes who would be locked up in today's time, but God still uses them. I mean, God loves to use the weak to confound the wise. And so I think Jesus would see them as individuals um, he wouldn't see the, them as what they've done. He'd see them as what he can do through them. And um, I think that's how we should see them as well. Men and women who are behind bars often feel cut off. They often feel like, you know, sometimes families don't want to talk to them anymore. How does Prison Fellowship bridge that gap? Yeah, one of the unique ways um, that being incarcerated strains the family is that um, you, don't, you don't have that touch point. You don't have that consistency. And so... One of the things Prison Fellowship does is the um, Angel Tree Program, which, you know, kind of, it, it, first of all, obviously it shares the love of Christ in a very tangible way and strengthens the family bonds by delivering personalized gifts and, of course, the gospel to the kids on behalf of their incarcerated parents um, at, at home uh, at Christmas time. And so different, different programs like that, making sure that they have that touch point and that point of consistency where the kids feel like, man, you know, my parents uh, care about me and they're connected to me and, and my parents are growing. And so as they grow, um, I get to experience that transformation, that growth in my own life. Is there anything else that you'd like to share about Prison Fellowship? You know, I, I'm just extremely grateful for the relationship. Um, they're a phenomenal organization, um, just raising awareness of second chances. And as a, as a Christian, I think we should all believe in second chances because uh, we've all been given one. Um, we, we, we're not uh, as we should be, but Christ makes us, you know, who perfects us in that, and that's a process. And so I think uh, everybody who understands the, the message of Christ should understand the mission of Prison Fellowship, and, um, and it's a wonderful opportunity to serve. Um, you can join, you can support them, um, and, you know, join the, the, the Second Chance uh, Sunday service, prisonfellowship.org. My next guest is Prison Fellowship President James Ackerman. So good to have you, sir. Thank you, Monica. It's my pleasure. Tell us a little bit about Prison Fellowship and how it works. So Prison Fellowship is an organization that has existed for 45 years, serving the gospel of Jesus Christ in prisons all over the country. As Jesus calls us to do in Matthew 25, to visit those who are in prison, there's a reason, because they're part of our community. They are part of our larger community, and they may be in a different location, but we still need to care about their needs. And so Prison Fellowship runs all manner of programming in prison. Our most intensive program is something called the Prison Fellowship Academy. We have 110 academy sites 
in prisons across the country. And these are year-long intensive programs that address the criminogenic thinking and behavior of men and women in prison, but do so through curriculum that's all grounded in a Christian worldview. Okay, you just said criminogenic? Yeah. What does that mean? Criminogenic is, is the manner in which people who are have criminal history tend to think about life and themselves and their role in it. And so the degree to which you can move people from thinking in a very me-centric way, in a way that I need to get what's mine, I need to defend myself and show that I'm tough, values that are, you know, the values of the street and the values of the prison yard, but aren't the values of a healthy functioning society. With all the men and women that you've met over the years, is there a common theme or a common story? Yeah. So for men in prison, the common theme is that there was either no man in the household, so no father in the household or an unhealthy father figure, so addict alcoholic, what have you. For women, it's even worse because the vast majority of women in prison, and I mean greater than 80%, have suffered abuse usually at the hands of a man. And then the vast majority of them, again, greater than 80%, become addicts. And the addiction becomes directly related to their criminal history. But they may be stealing from people to get money to buy more drugs to feed their habit. Right. So if you have somebody who's broken, who's been abused you know, as an innocent child, and then they grow up, to medicate the pain, they become addicted to drugs and then get arrested for doing something so that they can medicate the pain and then end up incarcerated. Yeah, yeah it just becomes an endless cycle unless you bring in a different way. And that different way starts with Jesus. And so we introduce, we start, we hold hope events all over the country to encourage people to step into new beginnings by accepting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior or recommitting their lives to the Lord. That's the starting point. And then we work with men and women to begin to change the way they think about their life and their role in it, that they have a purpose, that God has a purpose and plan for their lives and help them to step into that and then form the habits that represent good citizenship and healthy living. And so the academy is one year long? Yes. And then once somebody graduates, what happens then? Well, it depends. About 15% of participants in every academy class are long-termers or even lifers. We like that mix, that kind of 85-15 mix, because they can actually serve as mentors and counselors to future classes. The vast majority, though, of men and women who apply to go into the academy program are within 36 months of the end of their sentence or the time at which they're going to be paroled. So in a sense, we look at the academy program as a pre-release program for reentry into society. So for example, every person in the Prison Fellowship Academy goes through the Celebrate Recovery 12-step program. Whether addiction issues are part of your core problem or not, as Celebrate Recovery would say, everyone has hurts, hangups, and habits. So everyone goes through it. If you can uh, wrestle to the ground with those addiction issues and get healed from those things, you are, and that was part of your criminal history, that was part of your, your, what I often call the first cousin of your criminal history, then you were well on your way to becoming a more uh, healthy and productive citizen. If you just joined us, I'm Monica Kelly with Closer Look, and my guest today is Prison Fellowship President James Ackerman. What are some of the barriers that people face who have a criminal background? Often people can't get credit 
They can't get an apartment. They can't apply for housing because they have a felony conviction. They can't find a job. We, you know, all walk arm in arm, raising the profile of the need to provide people coming out of prison with a second chance, particularly those people who are looking for a second chance, who've paid their debt to society, said, I get it and I want to live well. And so are you seeing that less and less people are returning to prison? We are. You know, recidivism is still high across the country, but it's very different by state. So some states have a higher recidivism rate than others. The states that have more programming, so have taken on a more restorative approach to criminal justice, tend to see a lower uh, recidivism rate. In Texas, for example, um, Texas since 2008, Texas has completely re-architected its criminal justice system. It's actually one of the shining stars of criminal justice reform in the country, uh, which is, surprises a lot of people. And our oldest academy is in Texas, and it gets reviewed every two years. And and it has amongst the, the graduates of that program have amongst the lowest recidivism of any program in the country, much less the state of Texas. Speaking of justice reform, how do you advocate for justice reform across the country? At the federal level, there is still a disparity between the punishment applied for crack cocaine versus powder cocaine, with crack cocaine having an 18 to 1 disparity. And that has tragically affected communities of color way more so than Caucasian communities. And so, you know, we want to see that disparity brought to one to one. And so that's something that we're working on presently. And then we're working on other legislative initiatives presently in Michigan, Texas, uh, Georgia, Virginia. And we're just encouraging the states to have a more restorative approach to their criminal justice system. And the reality is what's happened in Texas is Texas has closed over eight prisons, may even be up to 10 now, since 2008. So they've reduced their total prison population. But at the same time, recidivism has fallen and Texas is enjoying the lowest crime rate since 1968. So it's possible to be smart on crime, not just tough on crime, but to be smart on crime and end up with a criminal justice system that actually saves, it begins to cost taxpayers less and create safer communities all at the same time. And you talked earlier about that our prison population is part of our community. And I think a lot of times we don't Think of people that are behind bars in that way. No, and, and Apostle Paul writes in Hebrews 13.3, remember those in prison as if you are serving with them. We're called to have an empathetic relationship with challenged communities. Let's call it that. And so whether it's people who are poor or sick or underclothed, you know, lacking housing, imprisoned, you know, um, have suffered abuse, you know, we are called to have an empathetic relationship. And that, you know, as Apostle Paul also wrote in Romans, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So Chuck Colson used to say something, and Billy Graham used to say it as well, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. We all stand on level ground. So there's no need for us to look down on other people because they're in prison. We should look at them as our brothers and sisters or our mission field. Learn much more about Prison Fellowship and how to get involved at prisonfellowship.org. Prison Fellowship President James Ackerman, also hip-hop recording artist, author, dad, Jesus follower, Lecrae. Today, thank you so much for being on Closer Look. Our pleasure. Thank you. For Closer Look, I'm Monica Kelly.